Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. For King Saul, it went downhill from that point. He never got things right with the Lord. David, though his sin was grave, his repentance was real, his confession was sincere, and he got right with the Lord. If you're listening, it doesn't matter what you've done. If you're going to get it right with the Lord, you're going to have to be honest with God. You got to be real with the Lord. You got to, in your confession, you got to be real about what you've done. Because the one person that knows for certain what we have done is the Lord. I got to keep it 100 with Him. Do you have mistakes in your life that are gnawing at you? Are things in your past that you can't quite figure out how to move on from? In today's message, Pastor Bill wants you to know that if you want to experience serenity from the mistakes that are holding you back, you need to give it all to God. No matter how hard you work, you will never be able to fix it on your own. God has always been on your side and wants nothing more than to give you His free gift of grace. Accept it today and be set free. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Nehemiah chapter 9 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. After he had called Abram and made a covenant with him, after he led him out of Egypt from bondage, after he gave them the law at Mount Sinai, after he miraculously provided food and water for them. Um, now, in verses 16 through 21, we'll see it's, the first word in verse 16 is but. And that's always a transitional term. So we've been looking at the consistent faithfulness of God. God's done all these things. Now it says but. And we know that there's a transition that happens in verse 16. It starts here. But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them, but they hardened their necks and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. Let me stop. I want to just one by one go through these and I want you to, I want you to listen to this. And if you can identify yourself or attitude of your own heart, hear this. And, and make the adjustments, right? This, these are the things, these are the attitudes of heart that kept people from the promises of God. These are the attitudes of heart and the behaviors that kept people away from the good that God wanted to do for them. Number one, they acted proudly. Anybody listening, are you proud? Do you do what you want to do? I know God said, but I'm going to do what I want. That's, that's the idea of acting proudly is I'm not submitting. I'm going to do my thing. Do you act proudly? That's what they did. That was the attitude of heart. Then it says they hardened their necks. God is saying, look, you guys hardened your neck to me. You wouldn't do what I wanted you to do. You wouldn't just yield as I was trying to move you this way. You wouldn't go where I wanted you to go. At nighttime, I have a dog, it's a cane course, a big old hundred something pound dog. And some nights he's excited to go into his crate. He wants to come in. But sometimes when I put him in the crate, he doesn't want to go. And so if he wants to go into the crate, when I walk him to it, uh, I'll have his leash in my hand like this or his, his, uh, his collar. He'll leave me to go into the crate when he wants to go. But when he doesn't, if I have his collar, when I get right to the door of the crate, he puts his front legs down and he tenses up and I got to shove it in there. And, and that's what it is just to harden your neck. Don't harden your neck to the Lord. Don't stiffen up. We want to yield to God, not resist him in any way. They hardened their necks. It says that they also, they did not heed your commandments. That means, God, I know what your word said do, but I'm not going to do it. 
I won't, I'm not going to heed your commandments. Verse 17, the fourth thing, they refused to obey. I'm not going, God, I'm not going to obey you. I refuse to obey. Imagine that, to refuse to obey. Can I tell you, I talked to two people this week. And, and I, it's maybe the most frustrating thing as a pastor to talk to someone that says, I know what God's word says, and I know what I'm supposed to do. And I'm, look, I'm telling you straight up, I'm not going to do it right now. And I'm like, there's nothing else I can do for you. Because I'm not the Holy Ghost. I can't bring about conviction. Uh, I'm not God. I can't spank you. You know, but it's like, man, I'm, what do you do for the person that says, God, I know what your word says, and I won't do it. I, I, there's nothing else to do but to step back and wait for the Lord to, to deal with them. And that's what happens here. They, they refuse to obey. It says, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. And, and the idea is that they forgot all the great things God had done for them. They weren't mindful. They didn't, they didn't keep it in their mind all the wonderful things God had done. Don't miss that. This is part of what went wrong is they weren't mindful of what God had done. We need to be mindful of the things that God has done in the past, the answered prayers, the deliverance, the mercy, the faithfulness, the prayers that you pray, God, please, if you just do this and he did it. Don't forget that. Don't forget when you cried out and he heard you. Don't forget when you pleaded and the Lord listened. Don't forget when you sought him and he responded. Be mindful of his wonders. Don't be forgetful of his wonders. Then it says, but they hardened their neck and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. You guys taking notes in Numbers 14, verse 4, um, they were sick of Moses and they said, man, get, get, get somebody else. We want, we want the leeks and onions. Get somebody to take us back to Egypt. And they literally were looking for a leader to take them back. God, we don't want to be here where you brought us. We want to go. Imagine wanting to go back to where they were slaves. Imagine, I mean, I can't even fathom that, that, that they would, that they would, that they meant it. We want to go back to where they were whipping us, where we were slaves, baking bricks in the hot sun. We want to go back there. And they were looking for a leader to take them to do that. Then it says, I want you to note the next but, right? Look at the end of verse, toward the end of verse 17. It says, but you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. For those that like to say, man, the God of the Old Testament was so harsh, you know, just always, you know, burning up folk and fire and brimstone. I want you to hear this right here. It says, but you are God. This is the, this is the God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So you were ready to pardon. God was ready to pardon them. Says he was gracious and merciful. Gracious when God gives us what we don't deserve, just his unmerited, undeserved favor. Gracious and merciful. Mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. We deserve a whooping, but we don't get it. God says, I'm both gracious and merciful. My favorite grace and mercy story, grace and grace and mercy story in my life is uh, when I was a kid, my mom would pick us up from school and at report card time, if we had got good report cards, of which I have not got many, um, we would go to the Hawthorne Mall and there was a place in the Hawthorne Mall that's like a frozen yogurt place and you could put treats and stuff on top of your frozen yogurt. So if you did good, you get a frozen yogurt. And in my household, if you did bad, you got a whooping. And normally about report card time, I knew I had a whooping coming. And uh, your mom would go to school, 
parent-teacher conference, the teacher could tell on you for all the stuff you did bad, and then you get, she gets your report card and find out all the work you didn't do that you said you did, and you go home and be in trouble. Not too long ago, my wife was in the garage with my kids, and they found a box with my report cards, and they came in laughing at me. I remember it was fifth grade. My teacher's name was Miss Beasley, and I had been cutting up. I hadn't done work. I had been messing up. I was spitting spitballs and all kind of stuff in class. And when my mom came back to the car, my sister had done well and had good grades and she was congratulated her. And I remember my mom just looked at me and she was like, I don't know what to do with you. And she just looked like this exasperated look. And so we were going to Hawthorne Mall because my sister obviously had earned her trip for frozen yogurt. And I never forget going there and I wasn't expecting to get anything. And my mom said, go ahead. And I was like, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I got the most humble frozen yogurt you could get. I mean, I didn't get the one I wanted. I got the, it was the humblest frozen yogurt you could get. I didn't ask for a whole lots of stuff on top of it. And I couldn't even really enjoy it eating it because I knew when I got home, I'm about to get a whooping. When I get home and I got home and I didn't get a whooping. And I, I never, that marked me. I remember, I remember this. I remember trying the next week. Like I was going to do better. I felt bad for my mom. And, but I remembered that of mercy and grace, right? I, I got mercy and I didn't get the whooping I did deserve. I got grace and that I did not deserve frozen yogurt and I got one. And it impacted my little heart. Um, something in me said, man, I, I'm, I'm bumming my mom out. I, I want to at least, I want to try to do better. And I did try for a couple of weeks. <laughs> so, um, but God said, look, I was, he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger. What if God had a quick temper? How many of us would not be here if God had a hot head? God's slow to anger, abundant in kindness. And it says this, and I love this, and he did not forsake them. God did, even though they were forsaking him, he did not forsake them. He's been faithful, even when they were not faithful to him. Um, it's important that we remember that this is what God is like. And I want to say this, because they're praying this. This is a prayer of confession. They're saying, God, this is what we did to you. And this is how you were to us. And I want to point out the importance of acknowledging your sin before the Lord. If you are, if you're going to get something right with God and you're going to confess your sins and deal with something before the Lord, there, there has to be in your heart, there has to be a, an acknowledgement of whatever it is that you've done wrong. The best example I can give you is David and Saul in the scriptures. Saul messed up. God had told Saul to utterly destroy all the Amalekites, kill everybody. Don't bring anybody back, no animals, no people, nothing. Wipe them out, utterly destroy all the Amalekites. Saul didn't do what God said do. He kept King Agag. He kept uh, some of the animals. And when Samuel came, uh, the representative of the Lord, he came. Saul said, oh, bless you. You know, I I've done everything God has required of me. And Samuel said, yeah, what's the bleating of the sheep? I hear sheep going back, back there. What is that all about? And Saul's first thing he said, the people did it. The people wanted it. He blamed the people. He didn't say, oh man, I, I messed up. I didn't do it, God. Let me go take care of that real quick. He didn't do it. And he also didn't kill King Agag. Saul had to go take care of it real quick. But therein is the issue with King Saul. He didn't acknowledge his own sin. He blamed it on somebody else. If you get good at doing that, if you become the kind of person that when you get called on the carpet for what you do, you got an excuse for everything. Here's what I've learned about people that make excuses. You can't make an excuse for your sin and repent of your sin at the same time. 
As long as you're excusing your sin, you might as well wrap your sin up like a little puppy and put it under your arm and say, I'm keeping it, I'm cherishing it, and I'm protecting it with my excuses. You can't get right with God making excuses. If you're going to get right with God, you're going to do it like David did. Because David messed up big. David slept with a woman that wasn't his wife, another man's wife, got her pregnant, sent that man to war and killed him on the front line and tried to hide out for a year. And when the prophet Nathan busted him and said, David, you are the man. You did this. What do you shame on you? Look what you did. You did this before the Lord. David prayed in the psalm. He says, God, against you and against you only have I done this great wickedness. He owned it. He sinned. He confessed it. He owned it. He repented and God received it. He got punished for what he did, but he was restored to his relationship with the Lord. Not like King Saul. For King Saul, it went downhill from that point. He never got things right with the Lord. But David, though his sin was grave, his repentance was real, his confession was sincere, and he got right with the Lord. If you're listening, it doesn't matter what you've done. If you're going to get it right with the Lord, you're going to have to be honest with God. You got to be real with the Lord. You got to, in your confession, you got to be real about what you've done because the one person that knows for certain what we have done is the Lord. I got to keep it 100 with him. And so uh, moving on now, verses, uh, verse 18, still looking at the things that they did wrong. It says, even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you up out of Egypt and worked great provocations. And I want you to know how that would have been, a, that would have provoked the Lord, right? God delivered them from Egypt supernaturally with his own power and strength. Then when Moses was gone, Aaron brought out this, he took everybody's gold and made this golden calf and everybody was partying and having a, you know, they were, they were turning up and saying, this is who led us out of Egypt. Imagine being God and looking down from heaven and seeing that, that they're, they're dancing naked around some golden calf saying, you know, hey, hey, this is who led us out of Egypt. Moses was mad when he came down and he saw what they were doing. Rightly so, he was. And so they were provoking the Lord to anger in that. That's when it says, and they worked great provocation. They were provoking God. Verse 19, look at, look at this. Here goes another transitional word, yet. God, even though they provoked you with that, yet in your manifold mercies, you did not forsake them. Manifold, God, in your, in your, in your multiplied mercies. You didn't forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light in the way they should go. They said, God, you didn't depart from them. I mean, if I were God, if some of you were God, most of us, if we were God, we wouldn't have put up with some of this stuff. Most of us, if we were God, wouldn't put up with our own selves. But that's another story. God says, look, I, you know, they, they, his manifold mercies, he endured this with them. And he didn't take away his supernatural leading, the pillar of fire at night and the cloud by day. He continued to be among them and present with them, though they were rebelling against him in all these ways. Verse 20, you also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. When it says you gave your good spirit, uh, you write notes if you're a note taker. In Numbers 11, 16, and 17, when Moses was leading the people, he got some people to help him lead. And God said, I'm going to take the same spirit that's in him and put it in them so that the spirit of God through these leaders was leading the people. God said, I did that. I gave my good spirit to instruct them 
didn't withhold manna from your mouth, still gave you water for your thirst. Verse, verse 21, 40 years. This is look at this. 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. I was going to do this, but I didn't. I was looking in my in my shoe thing for I was trying to find a real old jacked up pair of shoes. I was thinking to wear an old jacked up pair of shoes and show you what, what I could do to a pair of shoes in about a year. In a year, I can make some shoes look real bad. God says for 40 years, these sandals, these were not Nikes. These were not, you know, well, their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their feet didn't swell. I just want to note that that was supernatural. Because, uh, you know, even my shoes, I trade them out with other shoes. I'm, they're wearing the same thing every day, most likely, and they're trekking through the desert, but the shoes didn't wear out. That was God's provision, just making things last extra long for them. Again, all of these speak of God's faithfulness, what God did for them. Now we move forward, verses 22 to 25, and we're going to look at the, the conquest in Canaan and what God did there. Verse 22, it says, moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven and brought them into the land which you had swore to their fathers to go in and possess. So the people went in and possessed the land you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they wished. Verse 25, and they took strong cities and a rich land and possessed houses full of goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. And so here, the conquest of Cain and God finally brings them into the land of promise and, and they're in the promised land. They're in this good land and the, the, the grapes and the everything that God had promised. They're there. And again, you would think now, now, this group, the promised land, they're going to stay faithful to the Lord. Surely these would be the guys that would be so grateful to be in the land of promise that they would just say, God, you're so good. We're in this. We got vineyards that somebody else planted. We got cisterns that someone else dug. I mean, we've moved in and taken over and we are blessed. They ate and grew fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. That's, that's what they began to do. But then we see that transitional word in verse 26 again, nevertheless. And it, 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 I would, in our vernacular, we would say, but anyway, even though God did all that for them, but anyway, they were disobedient. And let me stop there and say this, because I think it's, we'll see it as a pattern, even as we continue and we get to the judges. It seems like when God's kids do the best, unfortunately, is when the heat is turned up really, really hot. Things aren't going very well. There's a brokenness. Somehow brokenness brings openness and humility and all the attitudes of heart that we need to really walk with the Lord the way we should. Conversely, when things are going very well, we got lots of money and abundance. Things are going great. Seems like that's when people mess up. Um, and so, you know, I don't right now, I don't know everybody listen how you're doing. For some folk right now, this is a time of great struggle. 
it's it's something that happens in human nature when when we think we're doing well, we forget about the Lord, no longer prayer life, not really in the word, I'm not even faithful in attending church or any of those things. And then when the bottom falls out, something goes bad, a bad diagnosis, a job is lost, there's a great need, then we know to turn back to the Lord. Somehow we got to learn as people to be just as faithful, just as committed, just as devoted to the Lord when things are going well, that we can enjoy a season of blessing from the Lord. And so here, even though God had blessed and brought them into the land of promise, things were going well, they're eating good, living large. Nevertheless, verse 26, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. Cast your law behind their back. They, they said they put God's word and just threw it behind their backs. And they said they killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. And they worked great provocations. And so these are not small things they were doing. God sent prophets with his words in their mouth to come tell them that they were doing wrong and they needed to repent. And they were like, eh, I'm going to kill. They just killed the prophets. We don't want to hear that. Imagine that. They just kill God's spokesmen. Some of us are God's spokespeople. And we got to say unpopular things at times. And just know that it's not a new thing for rebellious people to, to throw stones at God's spokesmen and spokeswomen. So it's not a new thing, but be, be careful that you don't be that person that's going after God's spokespeople. Why would you do that? Why, why would you come against those that are speaking truth in his name? What I find is this, as a pastor, as someone that speaks for the Lord, a lot of times people that are at odds with God will flesh it out on those that are speaking his word. These ain't my words. I didn't write the book. I'm a proclaimer of the book. It's not my message. It's his message. I'm just sharing it. But those that are at odds with him will be at odds with those that proclaim it, believe it, speak it, and share it. So we should expect that. But woe to those through whom it's coming. Woe to those that are attacking God's spokespeople. So they were here, again, pro another provocation, provoking the Lord by going after his servants and killing them and abusing them. Verse 27, therefore you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. And so here we move into the error of the judges. Um, the book of Judges, for you guys are familiar with that, the error of the judges was this. Israel would, for a period of time, they would walk with the Lord and things would be fine. Then they would be seduced into idolatry somewhere and they would go after other gods and incur the wrath of God against them. God, The way that God would punish them is he would remove his hand from them and allow the enemies to come in and take them captive. Then when the Israelites were sick of being captive and they were being plummeted by their enemies, they would finally cry out to God for help. After all the disobedience, they would cry out and God would say, all right, I'm going to send a deliverer. So when we look at the book of Judges, each of the judges, the word judge does not mean like a judicial judge, but they were deliverers. And God would raise them up, fill them with his spirit, send them out to deliver Israel from the hand of their oppressors. And it seems like they would walk with the Lord until that deliverer died, that judge died. Then they would do the thing all over again, the same cycle. So again, that's what it's talking about here in verse 27. Therefore, you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried to you, you heard from heaven, and according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers, judges, who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, 
they again did evil before you. Therefore, you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies. Many times God did this for them. You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Pastor Bill is making his way through the book of Nehemiah. When Nehemiah got to Jerusalem and saw all the work that he needed to do, he knew just how to motivate the people to get on board with his plan. Read with me in Nehemiah 2, verses 17 through 18. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Do your hands need strengthening for the work in front of you? Look no further than the hand of God. Remember his faithfulness in everything that he has done. But none of us were ever meant to do this alone. Are you looking for a community where you'll be supported and loved? Then come see us at Calvary Chapel Inglewood in Inglewood, California. Let's rise up together. You can find us online at calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. There you'll find everything you need to know and a lot of bonus material for your personal study. For those of you further away, come be in virtual community with us through Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We live stream our Sunday services. And with that, we've come to the end of our time together today. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to come again to A Transforming Word.